I think many of you here know a little bit about my story, about how I spent the first part of my professional life in tech. And then sort of mid-career, mid if you will, the Lord called me quite plainly, clearly to become an associate pastor of a large church in the area, a mega church. And so with joy and some trepidation, I went and joined that staff team. It wasn't too long before I was at the church that the senior pastor came along and said, hey, in essence, we have a preaching rotation, and we would like to know if you would be willing to give the message in about a month's time. And God had told me ahead of that as I was praying, like, don't ever refuse those opportunities. They actually don't come around very often. So I'm like, yes, I would love to do that. And it was no sooner having said that, literally within a day or two of that decision to do that, that I, I felt the most um, heavy weight of fear and anxiety about that upcoming message. I'd never felt that before. I didn't quite know, I mean, I knew what it was about, but it was something I couldn't shake, I couldn't get rid of. It was like an overhang. It'd be like, like perpetual overcast in my psyche, and my, my soul. Like, but this is, this is preaching God's word. How can this be something that's so nerve-wracking? I, I prayed much through it. Um, nothing really changed. It actually seemed to get worse. I know about you, whenever you get fearful about something, I know in, in my case, when I get fearful, then a whole chain of doom seems to forge itself all, all on its own. I imagine myself getting up there in the time to preach and suddenly my mind going blank, like nothing to say. I would just stare out into the audience and they would be staring back. And hopefully some of them would be praying to give me some kind of traction to get going. And of course, if you start with that, then it's not too long before you get to other bad consequences. What would the senior pastor say? What would my future be on the team. Certainly being part of the preaching rotation wasn't going to have much of a future if all I was doing was sort of miming something and then getting off stage after about two minutes. These were the things going through my head. But as I said, I, I was praying, I was persevering, I was writing things down, doing the sermon prep as best I could. But the day didn't change. I didn't get sick. The pastor didn't revoke the invitation. On that Sunday, I had to show up. This was a mega church, so we were doing three services at the time, each service with about 600 people. I'm like, man, what's this going to be like? So that morning, first service, I showed up, I stood up, and I spoke. And nothing that I was afraid of occurred. Nothing that I'd been concerned about actually materialized. The chain of doom seemed to be as illusory uh, then as it was real at the time. And I thought about that, and I thought, wow, um, what was going on for me? God was using that to show things in my life. He was using it to say, you know, part of your equipping and part of your development is to go through things like this. People said at the time, you know what, that sounds like spiritual warfare. 
Well, yeah, that is spiritual warfare. That is pretty effective as well. But I think about that in the context of, this, of the, the psalm that Kate read and we responded to, Psalm 46, one of the greatest psalms about dealing with fear. Because as, as much as we'd like to admit that as Christians we shouldn't have to deal with it, psalms are written for our benefit, for the benefit of the people of God, and we do have places of that need his attention. I gave you a, a past tense, but I've got things still wrestling with in present tense, and I'm sure you do as well. So as we think about it, as we unpack this together, think, ask God to give you one or two things that are just uppermost in your mind, uppermost in your heart, where you're thinking, Lord, I need to deal with this, or you're dealing with me, but help me understand how you see fear and what, what this psalm is supposed to speak to me about. Lord, give me the word for what I'm going through in this regard. That's really firmly, as I was praying through the text to select what the Lord had put on my heart. And, and fear occupies, you know, fear, I, as I was thinking about it, is that distance between um, what, we, what gives us life, what allows us to flourish, and yet what we don't have to do those things. It's kind of this gap. It's this space where this happens. So, you know, fear is the sense of like, oh, there's something that I want that will give me life. There's a relationship that I would like to have with a particular person. There are resources that are, I need. There is a job that, I, that I've been interviewing for. There's a profession that I think I've just been shaped for. That is what I want. That is what I think God has made me for. That is what will give me life. But if I don't yet have it to the measure that I think I'm called to, or I don't yet have that job, or I don't have that relationship, that's where the fear has room to come in. Will I get that? So fear is that place of like, I don't have what I need to flourish. And will I ever have that? I don't know. This is where the enemy can start to get in and start to work on our hearts, start to get into our head a little bit. But fear also plays this, play, this part where when we have something that we want, then we're afraid that we won't be able to keep it. And such is the tentative nature of this life in this world that everything, we are contingent people. Things are changing. The permanence comes that, that Scripture speaks about is ultimately known in eternity with Christ. So in this time and in this place, we don't necessarily have all that we need and would like. Or what we do have, we're afraid of losing. And both of those places can be places where fear is in operation. And so I, our text speaks to that. I, I, things I love about Psalms in this particular Psalm, it, it moves in phases. It, it has movements to it. The first movement that I see is God's, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though the waters roar and foam and the mountains quake in their surging. The first movement I see is just this astounding challenge to us, even us as believers, where we say that God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. We love that. We need that. We need to hear that over and over again. We need to embrace that. I don't know that that was necessarily Psalm when I was going through my the fears and the doubts and the anxieties I was feeling. I know Psalm 27 was big for me at the time. The Lord is the uh, my light and my salvation, whom shall I fear? 
It's the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? But Psalm 46 is in the same vein, in the same genre. The Lord is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in trouble. What's astounding about that, therefore, is the challenge that says, therefore, we will not fear. Like, really? We won't fear? Maybe you won't fear. I'm going to fear. But the reason the psalmist is telling us that is because the Lord is above all the catastrophes we could possibly ever contemplate or experience. And the things that we fear, aren't, they're not ethereal. In some cases, they're very real. And sometimes they're very prolonged. And sometimes they seem very intractable. But God gets us through such things. He gets us to a place so that we don't have to fear, not because necessarily the situations that are producing that are changing, but because we are more aware of who he is and more aware of the fact that he is a refuge, a place of safety. He is our our strength. He's a place of power. This is what the rest of the verse says. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea. This is chaos. In, In ancient times, spirituality was thought to be there's the things that God produced in Allah Genesis and the world that was very good in his creation. And, but before that, the world was formless and void. Sometimes people call that chaos. Just in this place, of we don't want to be in chaos. And so this scripture is saying, even though things are at their most chaotic, I will not fear because God is our refuge and strength and ever present. That means never leaving, always there, help in trouble. He is the place of safety. His strength is the place of power. Where is that room for fear? And so I think for whatever fears we're experiencing, whatever concerns that we have, allow this movement of this psalm to lift our hearts and our heads into this place of God's presence so that what we're actually experiencing that legitimately can cause us fear shrinks to its, in a sense, rightful size. I want to say God is bigger than the chaos, just to put it kind of in the vernacular. He's bigger than the issues in our life. He's bigger than the schemes of the enemy. You know, Scripture, Jesus refers to Satan and the enemy, Satan, the enemy, as the prince of this world. So he has, as a prince, he has some authority. As a prince, he has some ability. As a prince, he has some power. And as a prince, he has some result. But he is not the king. He is not sovereign. He is not ultimate. And he is not somebody that we serve. But still he works his mischief. Still he works his agenda. Still he creates and flames up a lot of these fears and concerns. Not unlike the Wizard of Oz. A lot of smoke, a lot of gas, a lot of everything. He presents, the enemy seeks to present himself as more powerful and bigger He certainly is that more than we are, but the God we serve, the one who is our refuge and our strength, is the God who has made all. And so God is bigger than our chaos. That's, you know, I hope that that's an encouragement. The the only, the times that, um, well, I just think about the way that the Lord led his disciples. He didn't say, you won't ever be afraid. He did say, I will always be with you. And he didn't say, this is what the plan is. He said, follow me. 
Sometimes we like, you know, we, we, we want a God who's basically a trip advisor, spiritual trip advisor. We want somebody, when Vicky and I went to the UK recently, I don't know if we use TripAdvisor. We're our own TripAdvisor. But, you know, you know where you're going. You know, you know where you're going to be staying. You make the reservation. You know how much it's going to cost. You know how you're going to get there. You're on the flight. You know what time it's taking off. You know when it's landing. You even know when you're, where you're seated. You know what the meals are. About the only surprise is like, what's on the entertainment menu? And I suppose if we really drilled down on that, we could probably figure that out as well. This is how we in this age like to love, live our lives. I like it predictable, except when they, I don't want it predictable just for fun. But when it comes to concerns and fears and things like that, we want the Lord to show us what's ahead. We want the Lord to kind of plan every bit. And the Lord says, I know the plans and purposes I have for you. I know how I'm allowing these issues, these challenges, these fears to operate in your life to actually show you that I am more than adequate for these things. There's no weapon formed against you that prospers. There's no fear that needs to overtake you. If you would, what? Come into the refuge of the Lord's safety. Experience the strength that he has. Know that he's ever-present always with us is what that means. So that first move is just to come into the Lord as refuge and strength, focus, lift, letting him lift our head and above the fears that so often occupy our mind and the next iterations of what that could possibly lead to. The second movement is really the, the opportunity to take a closer look. Who is this God who is doing such things for us? He is a God that who's where the next phase verse 4 says there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God the holy place where the most high dwells God is within her she will not fall this holy city of God God will help her at break of day nations are in an uproar kingdoms fall his he lifts his voice and the earth melts the river whose streams make glad the city of God Again, this whole psalm is driving us into God's presence. The river that is first that, that this refers to is the river mentioned in Genesis 2, where in the Garden of Eden there is a river that flows right through the garden and it branches off into four smaller rivers. But this is a metaphor for the presence of God. But it's also looking forward to the place of Revelation 22. The last chapter in Revelation. It says, an angel showed me the river of the water of life, as clear as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb down the middle of the great street of the city. What's going on here? It's, we start in God's presence in Genesis, and we finish in God's presence in Revelation. We start in the Garden of Eden, and we finish in the New Jerusalem. And all along, in that in-between time, in this in-between place called earth, in the anxieties and challenges that come with this world, that come from the enemy of our soul, come from the fact that we're just fallen in nature, and where we haven't figured everything out, nor will we this side of heaven, this side of paradise. But this is why we need the ever-present Lord. This is why we run into his place of refuge. We need that place of safety. This is why we depend on his power. Don't let any... Don't be concerned or don't think that whatever doubts that we have or inability to be more trustworthy, that somehow that throws God off. You know, I, I, I can't remember too much if I was beating myself up for not having as much faith 
Now, I'm sure that occurred to me. That's part of the, the enemy's compounding. Hey, you, you know, you're preaching. What, you should have more faith. You're a pastor. Why are you so uptight about that? Why are you so fearful? Why are you so anxious? That's a really good question. But, but this is why the scripture says, the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. This would be a third movement, the God of Jacob. He could have mentioned the God of somebody else, but he mentioned Jacob. Jacob has got to be one of the most flawed people in Old Testament canon. I don't know what fears propelled him to do the things that he did, but somehow he's afraid of missing out on being number one. He was the second to be born, even though his older brother Esau, there was a twin, so he's born minutes later, but he's still second. He doesn't have the birthright. He doesn't get the inheritance, but he wanted these things. Whatever fear, insecurity was driving him, and he took them. You know the story about how he maneuvered and tricked his dad. But the fear just compounds. When you take things in your own hand, things get, they don't get better. They get worse. So he's on the run. His brother wants to kill him. His mom says, your brother is after you. You need to go. And he goes. And he lives in fear of the revenge of his brother. But the Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob. His name means trickster. This God of the trickster is our fortress. And this is the God who visits Jacob. This is the God who gives him a vision. This is the God who protects him. This is the God who uses him in his salvation history. He is the father of the 12 patriarchs. Nothing that he did in his early life would be an indicator, necessarily, that that's how he should be treated. But God doesn't treat us as our sins deserve. Doesn't treat us as our fears would probably lead us to. And so we should be encouraged by that. Jacob is really one in this psalm who serves as an encouragement. And the last movement here is one of invitation. Come and see what the Lord has done. The desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes war cease and to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow. He shatters the spears. He burns the shields with fire. And he says, be still and know that I am God. This is the first words or invitation. Come and see what the Lord has done. Whatever fears or concerns that we have, as understandable as they may be in our own fallen ways, as we come before the Lord, he gives us invitation to consider him. And in this particular movement of the psalm, to consider the power that is on display. He says he's breaking, he makes war cease and breaks the bows and shatters the spear. These are symbols of, of the greatest earthly power that we can imagine armies and weapons, and now they've grown over the millennia to nuclear and to fairly destructive forces. But they're not bigger than God. They're not more powerful than He. They don't take Him by surprise. So we have the invitation to consider the, what the Lord has done, to look at how He's acted for the people of God, the faithfulness that He has shown, the rescue that He's given us, the fact that when He calls us to do something, as He called me you know, to come and join this church, He equips me, even though in that moment I didn't see it for, for the four weeks that I was, from the time I was asked to the time I gave the sermon, I was just in this place of just weight of anxiety and weight of fear. But God knew what he was doing. He knew that he would give me the power that I needed. He knew that he would uh, faithfully provide and answer my prayers. And I think that is so true for, for all of us in so many ways. Revelation, when we're in the city of Jerusalem, we are with God. We're with Jesus. And there's no more crying. There's no more sorrow. There's no more tears. 
The martyrs are praising God, but they have given their lives on earth for him. But they're not in a place of regret. They're in a place of rejoicing that they could give all that they were, all that they had for the king. And so, just to conclude, how do we do that? It's just very practically. The one thing I would say is to move into that place where God is, that fortress, a mighty fortress is our God, wrote Martin Luther. That was his song, out of this psalm, out of Psalm 46. Be in that place of his presence. Practice it just quietly, sitting silently with him. You don't have to intercede. You can just be there and feel the Spirit will speak to you of his love, of his regard, of his protection, of his fulfillment. He didn't call us to just leave us in a place. He called us forward. Um, about a year or so after that sermon, oh, the church moved. The church was growing. It was kind of a megachurch era. We were growing. And so we got a bigger sanctuary. It was a 2,100-seat sanctuary. And then so we moved to this facility. My turn on the rotation comes up again. The pastor comes over again and says, would you like to preach? God told me never refuse. So I said, yes. But now the enemy starts to work on me again. Oh, 600 is one thing. 2100 is a different deal. Now, you know, I, we're just getting into the digital era. Now whatever gaff or, what, or faux pas, now that's on the digital world forever. Oh, my goodness. And so, but I'd, I'd been used to this attack before. And I just, you know, I was praying. It wasn't, I didn't feel it as severely as the first time, but I felt it. Until I went uh, the, the week before, a few days before the Sunday I was preaching, I went into this 2,100-seat sanctuary. And I went up on stage where I would be. And I looked out over the whole room. It was dark, but you could see, you can actually see a lot. And I remember as I stood there just thinking, the Spirit's impression very clearly saying, or asking me, isn't this room small? I'm like, it's 2,100 seats. No, isn't this room small? I began to realize that when you're talking about God's word, it's not me, it's not what I say, it's not necessarily how I say it. It's being faithful to the preparation. And it is God who gets a return on his word. And it is God who is ordaining, and that Sunday I was going to speak, every person to come and hear whatever he'd put on my word, uh, in my heart, and on my lips in that time. Isn't this room small? For God's purposes, the room was very small. When I began to think about that, I thought, I would love to have more people. I would love, if this is God's word to go forth, I would love more people to experience that. Because I, I want them to experience, not me, I want them to experience God and what he'd planned for that. But I think what is true for me in that moment, in that time, is also true for each of us in whatever vocation. Your profession. Isn't that project that you're assigned small? No, it's really a lot. And we're already behind. Yeah, but I am with you. Aren't those patients you're seeing, aren't they in great need? Yeah, yeah, they are. But I'm going before you. Are you concerned about the people that you work with? Concerned about what they would think? God's already got that in hand. Concerned about relationships that feel strained? If you're in a family, you've got relationships that are in some kind of tension that's somewhere along the line. 
None of that's surprising. But God says, come into my place. Be in my presence. That place where you see that I am your refuge. I am your strength. No weapons formed against you will ever prevail. I break the bow. I shatter the spear. I go before you. I have purposes and plans that you cannot think of. The only thing that will hold us back is to let the fear prevail. But God, like a loving parent, takes us by the hand, leads us out, leads us gently, step by step. Our step feels tentative at first. Then it moves to a sort of regular speed. And as we see where he's leading us, as we see what his plan is, we quicken our pace because we want to be keeping up with our Lord and Savior. The Lord has more things than we can ask or imagine planned for us and for us as a church. This is what Ephesians says. This isn't like the power of positive thinking. This is actually reflecting what Scripture teaches for the God who brings us into relationship and who has a task for us and a life for us that is fruitful and that will give him glory and be the life that we so desperately were made to live. Amen. Thanks for being with us online in the sermon podcast. To find out more about Holy Trinity Silicon Valley, head to www.holytrinitysv.org.